0: Good morning. Welcome to Ribbon Community Church. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow, as a country, we honor those who have lost their lives in service to this great country. They fought and perished in service to a set of ideals, a set of ideals that permits us and others to gather freely and worship in a way we choose. This is no small thing, which is why we take a moment and say thank you, we remember, and we pray we live up to those sacrifices. We're in a series right now called What Would Jesus Say? And over the last month or so, we've talked about what Jesus would say about a number of different things, about himself, about faith, about heaven and hell, even about money. Uh, This morning, we finish out the series by talking about what Jesus would say about politics. And if today is anything like cable news, we will leave here all hating each other. (laughs) The topic of politics... it's kind of like a jack-in-the-box, right? Somebody walks into the room, they start talking about politics, and everybody gets a little nervous, wondering what's going to happen, who's going to say what, and eventually, over a little bit of time, somebody says something a little bit crazy, and everybody gets a little bit frustrated. And they go, ah! Right? That's basically politics in a nutshell. It goes into a room, and somebody is angry and frustrated, and somebody leaves upset. That's politics. That's the topic of politics for most of us right now. It gets a bad rap, though. I should know, I actually was very interested in getting into politics when I was younger. In high school, I went to uh, basically a democracy camp called Badger Boy State, and so I spent a week there doing democracy stuff, whatever. It was very interesting to me. I liked it a lot. I was interested in it. I was so interested in it that I was like a vote or two away from going to uh, Boys Nation, which is another week-long democracy camp in D.C., but I missed it. Uh, the, later that year, in my senior year, I, I was in a class called We the People, where you go down to the state capitol, present on different topics about the Constitution in front of some judges and its a competition. It was, it was really fun. I really enjoyed that. So much so that in college, I ended up taking some political science classes. Uh, I ran for office. Again, I lost by a couple votes. It's like someone was trying to tell me something. Uh, And then I ended up getting a degree in something called rhetoric, which most people call communication. But in that degree, we actually studied a lot of political speeches. It was something I was interested in. I studied. I liked knowing more about it. Now, obviously, I did not take that route. But when we talk about politics, especially what Jesus says about politics, I get interested. I get really interested in Maybe you do too. Because wouldn't it just be nice? Like, Wouldn't it be so nice to know what Jesus would say about something like healthcare or immigration or the First Amendment or the Second Amendment? That's a really hot issue right now when we talk about gun control and all that kind of stuff. Or, or who to vote for? Bring those topics up at a dinner table and talk about a jack-in-the-box. Things can get heated. So the question is, What did Jesus say? What does Jesus say about politics? The answer? So much. Jesus says so much about politics. Jesus is political. It's just that Jesus does politics his way. And if we're willing to listen this morning, we can learn to do politics Jesus' way too There's this time, uh, there's some religious leaders, some Jewish leaders, as well as some uh, people that are part of the Roman government. So they're government officials. And they were going to find Jesus and ask him some questions to try and kind of knock him off of his game a little bit because Jesus was beginning to get a crowd that was gathering around him. People wanted to follow him, they were interested in him. And so both of these groups of leaders had equal interest in trying to get rid of Jesus because it's possible there could be a rebellion that was forming out of this. And so Jesus is there, and he's talking to these people and teaching, and and these religious leaders and government officials come, and they begin to ask Jesus a question. And their question for Jesus is, hey, hey Jesus, uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? This is a bit of a difficult question because the Jewish leaders would have been like, we don't really like Roman rule. We should maybe not pay taxes, while the Roman officials are like, hey, you got to pay taxes. This is the way it is. And so there really was not a right answer to this question. Jesus knows this, and so he answers a Jesus way. and says this in Matthew 22. Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. Only Jesus could have given such a perfect answer that answers their question, but goes above and over their question. They were amazed by his answer. It distilled the whole situation. Jesus has a way of doing politics his way. So, unfortunately for all of us, Jesus does say, pay your taxes. Uh, He wasn't necessarily opposed to that. Yet Jesus was political in revolutionary ways. If you read through the the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's this phrase that gets used over and over and over again. Uh, It's the phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. It's used an astonishing 86 times throughout those four books. That's a lot of times to talk about something. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, 86 times. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what we have to know is he's not just talking about heaven, where we go when we die. He's talking about this kingdom that, while he was here on earth, he was bringing in. He was bursting it into the right here and right now. A kingdom that was present in Jerusalem and has spread all over the world, all over the different countries, and and is present here in Ripon, Wisconsin. Ripon, Wisconsin. Jesus describes it. He says this. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. He talks about it a little bit further. It says, Jesus used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus continues in in Luke. He talks about it this way. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. This kingdom that Jesus talks about, it's not isolated by imaginary lines drawn in the sand. It's not separated by oceans or walls or mountains. It crosses borders. There are citizens of this kingdom that dot the continents that have spread to every single corner of this planet. And that word, that word citizen, that's an important word for us this morning, citizenship. For a lot of us, citizenship is is an afterthought. It brings up memories of, of high school social studies class or civics class, and, and maybe we even cringe thinking about going back to those days and having to sit in class. But as we think about Memorial Day tomorrow, our citizenship was purchased at a high price. Our rights, privileges, and freedoms, these are incredible gifts that we get as Americans. Citizenship, it, it's valuable. The same was actually true uh, back in Rome, back in the days when Jesus was around in Rome. Uh, citizenship, it actually possibly could have meant even more because at that point it was very exclusive to be in a, a citizen of Rome. If you were a Roman citizen, it, it meant rights that didn't belong to everybody else. A, a Roman citizen was a powerful individual. We actually get a, a, a neat glimpse of this. Uh, one of Jesus' followers, his name is Paul, And as he was following uh, Jesus, he was uh, going about and doing different missionary journeys. And uh, in the early part, he's kind of collecting this offering for Christians that were in Jerusalem because they believed they needed some help. And so he goes around collecting this offering, and then he finally gets himself headed towards Jerusalem to help these Christians that are there. And when he gets into Jerusalem, he he begins to teach. And people are coming to hear him teach about who this Jesus is and, and what this whole thing is all about. And it's going really well. People are gathering. They're interested in what he says. And and over a while, though, what happens is is he said something that they didn't like. Now, the scholars kind of disagree about what exactly it was that he said. They're not exactly sure. But something registered for them, so much so that, that they called the commander of a Roman group. And they brought him over and said, hey, take Paul away. He's doing some things that are not good. And so this commander takes Paul, takes him to this prison, shackles him up. And in that moment, he he says to the, the, the guards that are with him, take out the whip and begin to whip him. But in that moment, in that moment when he says that, Paul whispers something or says something that's audible enough that the commander hears it, he says, would you do that to a Roman citizen? And says in Acts 22. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. Citizenship matters. Often we we take it for granted in America. But our citizenship carries with it protections and guarantees that make the kind of life and the freedoms we enjoy possible. I mean, just start walking down the the bill of rights, the the right to free speech, the the right to religion and, and press, the right to bear arms, protection from unreasonable search and seizure. These are incredible rights that we have and that we're guaranteed as citizens. Which, makes, which is what makes the kingdom of God such an incredible thing. Because we get to be citizens. We all get to be citizens in God's kingdom, a borderless kingdom sewn together by a common bond of Jesus Christ, a citizenship with guarantees and rights that supersede anything that any earthly, earthly nation can offer us. But what's that look like? What does that look like? What does a citizen in the kingdom where Jesus is Lord look like? How can you spot him? How can you pick them out in a crowd? Jesus, he, he actually gets, gives us this very clear picture of it. It's in Matthew 20, it says this. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The politics of God's kingdom is so much different than the politics we're used to. In the kingdom of God, power comes from humility, living God's way and, and serving. Paul himself, he, he learns this actually, from Jesus himself. Paul wrote most of a big portion of the New Testament, and there's this time where he actually quotes Jesus, something that he learned from Jesus. It said this: uh, "Each time he said, Jesus said to him, "My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness." So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus, hands pierced, blood dripping back-gouged, hanging up on a tree we call a cross. His words in that moment, not, I'm going to get revenge, not, you're going to regret this, not, you're going to get what's coming to you. Words all of us could easily understand Given the circumstances, words that probably sound a lot like the politics we're used to. No, Jesus didn't use those words. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Possibly the most powerful political speech of all time. What does Jesus say about politics? God is strongest in our weakness, and we know this. We can even point to examples in our own history, like the nonviolence of a civil rights movement. But, but I want to make it personal this morning. A couple weeks ago, I got to sit down with a woman who a lot of people have followed over the years. Uh, A lot of people have uh, learned from her and grown because of her and really excelled in their life, in large part due to her guidance. She's a very strong woman. However, as I sat down with her, she was not strong. In fact, she isn't. She's in her final days. So I sat down and I, I talked with her and basically just got the privilege of listening to her story and her thoughts on some things. And here this woman is, weak and frail, quiet words. And yet for me, as I listened to her, those words carried power. Those words were, they changed me. They changed what I thought about life, what I value. I was really worried about something that day and I, I stopped being worried about it because, hey, there are only certain things that matter in your life when you're at the end of it. So maybe start thinking about those things now. Those words mattered and they were powerful. I hung on her every word. Your life it, and your view of your life, your idea of your life, it can, it can shatter It can shatter when someone slows down in their weakness with humility and grace and says the hard thing, the true thing about what really matters in life. That's what the politics of Jesus looks like. Jesus is political. He just does politics his way. And if we're ready and and if we're willing to listen this morning, we can learn to do politics his way too. I want to be clear about something. God does not have a political party. You cannot put God in a box and say an entire party platform is how God would vote. You cannot say God is a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a Socialist, or what have you. Have you ever heard the phrase uh, God and country? Raise your hand. Yes, God and country. I think God comes first for a reason, because God is ahead of country. Then, how many of you have you heard party, or uh, excuse me, country over pa- or party? Country over party? Have you heard that before? That's a phrase that some people use every once in a while. In the end, when things get tough, like if there's, there's this really big challenge that we, we need to meet, country always comes over party. And I think that's right, right? Like, this is how it should look God over country over party. Party is kind of our opinions, our ideas of how things should be run. In the end, though, we're one country. We're together. We're together in this. We have something at stake. But above all else, God's in control, so we should look to him for everything. When you turn that upside down, when it's party over God and country, you stop worshiping God and begin worshiping a God of your preferences. When the party's the most important thing, you've now made God a slave to it. You cannot put God into the box of a political party. When Jesus asked whose picture was on the Roman coin and then said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God, he was painting a very vivid picture for us. That coin was given a picture of Caesar by Caesar. But it exists because God made it possible for it to exist. So maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, man, I really thought he was going to tell me who Jesus would tell me to vote for. It would be nice, right? Democrat, Republican, third party, who, who should I vote for? Isn't it obvious? Haven't I been clear enough? Your vote should be for Jesus. And I know that's the corniest bumper sticker ever. but I'm serious. When you vote for Jesus with your life, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, right here, right now, it's here with us, and forever into eternity with all the authority, all the guarantees, and the privileges that go along with it. You are free. You have purpose. A vote for Jesus with your life, it it changes your life. It not only changes your life, but it changes the lives of the people in your life, those around you. It changes the lives of the people in your community and so on and so forth. It could be one of the best acts of citizenship you could ever muster. To become a citizen of God's kingdom, to be a dual citizen, to have dual citizenship, to be a citizen of God's kingdom, but then also a citizen of the United States of America. Both powerful, both available to us at the cost of life. One far more important and powerful than the other. And as we await the day when when finally God's kingdom is is what we're living in, where it's completely and utterly God who is in control and, and, and we're living in that kingdom, when that comes, as we await for that day, our dual citizenship means we still have responsibilities now. Today. I came across this verse this past week. It, it comes from Jesus' final prayer for his followers. He, he's praying for his followers before he ascends into heaven, and, and so he prays for his disciples, but in there he also prays for everybody who will ever follow him in the future, which means us. He's praying for us. And as he prays for us, he has this line in there, this one sentence that I think is so pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. It says this, in John seventeen 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. I'm not asking you to take them out, but to keep them safe. As followers of Jesus, citizens of God's kingdom, we're not called to run away or retreat from the world. We're not called to find ourselves in these little pockets and corners protected and isolated. No, we're called to engage, engage the world. We're called to be dual citizens present in the world and trusting in God's protection from the evil one. And because we can trust that protection, being even more bold because of it. We've been given talents, resources, and faith that values what God values. So as you consider who to vote for, what to think about health care or immigration or the first and second amendments, let Jesus inform you, not a party platform Read what Jesus says and let him guide your thoughts. Don't let some person who's, who's trying to get your vote tell you how to think about something and definitely don't think about somebody who's on a TV screen behind a desk tell you how to think about something and definitely don't listen to me and tell, let me tell you how to think about something. Go to Jesus. Read what Jesus says. Then decide. Be open to how he might change you. Then decide. Be a good citizen, follow Jesus, vote for Jesus with your life. And and if you want a way to vote for a candidate, the only time that that it's really clear how a, a person becomes a leader in God's eyes is when David was chosen. And as David was chosen, God did one thing, he looked at heart. He looked at David's heart and said, David has a good heart, he should be your king for now. And so as you're thinking who to vote for, that's a fantastic place to start. Who has the right heart? Who has the right heart? I told you earlier that I wanted to go into politics when I was younger. I studied it, I followed it, I read all about it, I still do, it's interesting to me. Now obviously, I didn't go into politics and I have no intention of doing so. That didn't happen by accident. I knew I wanted to make a difference in the world to, to help people. And, and I thought when I was younger that politics was a way to do that. But for me, I realized for me it wasn't the best way. For me, the best way I could think of, the best way I could use the gifts that God has given me to do that, to help people, was to help as many people as possible know who Jesus is, and help as many of those people as possible follow Jesus with their life, because I think that even in a small corner of the world like Ripon, Wisconsin, can have powerful implications for people's lives changing in the most amazing ways. I felt like it was my duty, a calling. If you are a, a citizen of God's kingdom, if you believe in and follow Jesus, you have a calling to and a civic duty, if you will, in God's kingdom. That citizenship comes with tremendous privilege. It comes with tremendous responsibility. You can be political, just don't play politics by the rules you see on TV. Play by Jesus' rules. And the stakes? The stakes have never been higher. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Memorial Day, it actually began as a response to the Civil War. It came as a response to a time when our country was quite literally torn apart, where 620,000 soldiers died between both sides. More Americans died in the Civil War than died in both World Wars, Korea and Vietnam combined. Proportionally, if you like compare it total populations to what they are today, that number would be 6 million people. 6 million people. I was told between services that the population of Wisconsin is 5.8 million. Our history teaches us that hatred escalates at unbelievable rates when given enough fuel. Today's politics can feel like a raging grease fire with fuel to spare. Like a grease fire, blowing on it and dousing it with water does very little to put it out. It can even make it worse. The only way to put a grease fire out that I know of is to take away its oxygen. The only thing I know of that takes the air out of hate is Jesus-style politics. The kind of love that Jesus talks about when he says in Luke, but to you who are willing to listen, I said uh, you're gonna have to listen this morning if you wanted to learn about it. Jesus says it too, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. What if we lined our politics up with Jesus? What if we loved our friends and our enemies with our words, with our social media posts, with our votes, with our dinner table conversations? We can have opinions. I love opinions. We have debate. I, I like debate. If you talk to anybody that knows me well, a spirited conversation about something is something I adore. It's so much fun. It's great. Opinions are great. Debate and conversation are vital to good citizenship and good politics. Disagreement is good. But let's listen first. Let's give opposing sides the time of day Let's engage in helpful ways, not vengeful ways. Let's take the ugly power away from the -the jack-in-the-box that is politics. Let's hold to our kingdom of God convictions. Most of all, let's hold to the conviction to love God and love our neighbor, whether they agree with us politically or not. Let's put God over country over party in that order. Let's vote for heart when we vote for office. Most importantly, though, let's vote for Jesus with our life. Make your dual citizenship count. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much that you love us. Even when we disagree with each other and are angry with each other and all of those things, thank you for that. God, we ask that we would see you working in our world today. Uh, We're here this this morning on Memorial Day weekend, and we ask that you would uh, comfort those who uh, are families of people who have lost their lives in service to this country. We ask that you would be close to them, and we honor them this morning. We remember. But God, this morning, we pray that we would be citizens of your kingdom above all else that we would love our enemies, even when it's really hard. That as we're citizens of your kingdom, we might be great citizens of this, of this country. And God, it's hard sometimes, so give us the patience, give us the courage, and help us to show people a picture of who you are and what your love looks like as we live it out in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.